I like that we get to talk about these things and we hit it from a different angle, but because we love each other and because we have the same religious views, you know, church is the centerpiece of our lives. Worship is the centerpiece of our lives. Molly Hemingway speaking at the Issues Etc. Making the Case conference. So when we are just going back and forth on politics, it's really not that important relative to the things that do in, matter. And in all safe. seriousness, if you do not have someone in your life that you both completely trust and regularly engage in arguments with, you're doing it wrong. You can watch and listen to journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway's Q&A and all of the presentations from the 2023 Making the Case Conference for a contribution of $300 by Labor Day. We'll send you links to download a podcast or watch a video stream. Order today at issuesetc.org or by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. many parents seeing in their children's public school education that has them looking for an alternative and many of them are turning to classical education and while we're at it why don't we ask why the left finds classical education well they find it dangerous they even have mounted efforts to eradicate it in some cases or at least to spread misinformation about classical education we used to just call it education Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to talk about the growing popularity of classical education, Joy Pullman. She's executive editor of The Federalist, author of the book The Education Invasion, and a recent column titled Schools That Teach the Classics Instead of Marxism See Exponential Growth. Joy, welcome back. Thank you. Talk about the jump in classical school startups since the pandemic. It's been astonishing, actually. And I started reporting this article just because I was hearing some anecdotal reports of this. But when I reached out to is basically, you know, a large number of classical education organizations just to put some numbers to it, I was really amazed by what they told me. So, I mean, of course, it will vary by the institution, but I reached out to Catholic, Protestant, both homeschooling and private schooling and public schooling, charter school groups. And they are all telling me that they've seen significant jumps in the number of families enrolled in classical schools, running homeschool classical co-ops, and starting brand new classical schools of basically every single kind you can think of. Every single one of the more than half a dozen organizations that I reached out to said that they have seen some of the biggest growth you know, they've seen in their history has happened in the last couple of years since the lockdowns. Run the numbers for classical education going back the last few decades. Right. And then if you look at the last couple of decades, the jump is even more exponential, right? So we're, we're in the, just since the lockdowns, you know, people are telling me numbers from 20% growth to 30% growth in enrollment in school startups, which is really significant. You know, if you're running a business, your board would be really delighted. And, and then if you go back a couple of decades, because classical education was really revived in the United States in the early 90s by some Protestants looking for an alternative to the increasingly secularizing public education that was available to them. And so if you go back to the 90s, which, you know, 30, 40 years ago, the growth there, we're talking between 500 and 5,000 percent growth in their enrollment in number of schools among these organizations that go back that far. So really, really huge numbers. What is classical education? 
Well, it's one of those things where there's a lot of variety within it. So I'm aware of all that. I've actually, you know, studied that at the college level. But just for the average person who, you know, this is still pretty new to, I think a pretty good rule of thumb is to think about that the, a classical education focus on, you know, just use the word in it, the classics. You know, there's other terms that have been used for it, but it's it's the way, the traditional way of educating bringing up, informing the characters of a society's children that has been used in Western civilization since the ancient times. And so there's an extremely large focus on the classical literatures, classic letters, sometimes they're called, but the texts that are the best that has ever been seen and written, that there's really a commitment to really preserving and exposing children to the best and most beautiful in their heritage through the letters as well as musically in the arts. Children in the classical school will be studying the fine arts, all of them, not just the kids who like it. And it's not craft projects, it's explicit instruction in the fundamentals of drawing and painting and sculpting and using masterworks as kind of their model. And using a masterwork as your model is what students will be doing across the disciplines, whether it's science, mathematics, or the humanities. So really, the focus is on excellence and the best and the brightest that a civilization and culture has to offer and ensuring that children get that part of their cultural inheritance. So, you know, to give the children the best that can be given to them from their own ancestors and their own people and their own culture. Obviously, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of different kind of iterations of this. Some schools will be focused a little bit more, I would say, on civically or patriotic kind of forms of education. Those tend to be more of the public charter schools, the ones associated with core knowledge, which is not the same as the common core curriculum, core knowledge, or the um, University of Chicago kind of style of learning. So that's more civic oriented towards having Americans in particular having a common culture and being able to speak to each other and understand the stories that have shaped their fellow citizens and how to really speak and relate to each other. But there's also so there's very, very strongly Christian aspects of that. Classical education has been what basically created the Renaissance and the Reformation. The leaders of that received a classical education. So did the leaders of the American founding. They were classically educated both at home and in formal schools, exposed to the greatest ideas of antiquity. Again, everything from geometric proofs to political documents to biographies and histories to the great literature of the Western world. So really classical education is simply what we used to call education before progressive. That's a really, yep. That's a really great, simple way to put it. It is the way, you know, that people, again, you know, we're speaking English right now. We're both in the United States. These are the way that our great grandparents and grandparents, that's just for them, it was called education. But now since there's been this split in the education philosophy that really took over American schools starting in the early 1900s, especially, now we have to talk about classical education as something different from what most people are used to, but it really is the way that our culture has been created and renewed with each generation since the beginning of time. What is the appeal of classical education to parents? If you look at surveys from parents and as well as just talk to them when, you know, and, and wandering the halls of the schools, and I've been in multiple dozens of classical schools reporting on them throughout the years. I've talked to a number of them who are looking to found classical schools, for example, in Tennessee. I've talked to many parents recently um, wanting to open Hillsdale-style charter schools. 
And they're telling me that what they really want is a good grounding to make their children into clear thinkers and good citizens. They don't want heavy leftist ideological propaganda replacing the great conversation and the exposure to the wealth of knowledge in the best that has been thought in their children's tradition. So there's a lot of parents rejecting things about public schools that have gotten really toxic. It used to be feminism. Now it's transgenderism. It you know, used to be sex ed talking about early sexual experience exposure for young people. And now it's just frankly grotesque things they're teaching. Of course, kindergartners, that there are more than two genders and boys can turn into girls and all kinds of just crazy things. You know, so parents really are running away from that sort of madness that we might call cultural Marxism. But they're also running to an education that really seeks what is good. The classical education and, and the liberal arts have always focused on what are called the three transcendentals, the good, the true, and the beautiful. So it's kind of those broad criteria for what should we study? What is the best? What is the most beautiful? Um, what is the most true? How do we find it? And so those modes of thinking and the knowledge that gives rise to those modes of thinking is really what a classical education focuses on. And parents really are looking for something good and beautiful for their children. They don't want their kids just to be less exposed to filth. They want their children to have the highest exposure possible to glory, to beauty, to just wonderful things. You know, so one of the things, for example, that I've heard that in, in classical schools, I've never heard anywhere else, you will hear the children singing ancient hymns, both in English and in Latin. In the hallways of those schools. When you walk the hallways of the schools, you see the children modeling their painting and their drawings after Rembrandt, after Van Gogh. So the seeking of beauty and the expression of it in the schools is really unparalleled. And, you know, when I talk to people on the ground, the teachers, the parents, the students, they find that really, really inspiring and just a complete shift. You know, many of them had gone to public school, taught in public schools before, and the atmosphere, they say, is completely different inside classical schools in a really wonderful way. You mentioned Hillsdale. Talk about the role of higher education institutions like Hillsdale College and the role that they're playing in the promotion of classical education. Well, Hillsdale College, which is my alma mater, is a Christian liberal arts school in Michigan, and it is one of the few higher education institutions that, as the mass of academia has really been corrupted by Marxism, they have focused on truly the historic commitment of essentially every old college in the United States and in the West has been to, you know, basically the Christian faith, first of all, and in service of that Christian faith, these beautiful, true, and good things that we study, such as, you know, art, literature, math, sciences, you know, discovering what is true, what is in God's creation, and how to use it to serve our neighbor. That is what all, you know, schools in the Western world really were committed to before just about 100, 150 years ago. And Hillsdale is one of the few that has really kept that tradition alive while the rest of them have succumbed to, frankly, anti-God theologies such as cultural Marxism. So Hillsdale is basically trying to do the utmost that it can to spread that way of learning in the United States as a service to the country that its leaders love. And so they offer free curriculum to K-12 schools. Anyone can use it. It's online. All you have to do, I think, is give them your email address. They also offer free online courses that I know, for example, some high school students can take, but you know, their college level, they include discussions, lectures from professors following a course of study. So just a very wide variety of educational materials free that they put out there because they really believe what the Northwest Ordinance says. That, that was one of the 
for American organic documents along with our constitution. It was created to basically support having new states enter the the union. And the Northwest Ordinance says that, you know, because religion and morality are absolutely fundamental to preserving a Republican form of government, that is why our founders believed in encouraging religious and moral education. So the whole point of education for the founders is to promote a virtuous people. And you can't be really virtuous without believing in a religion that is itself virtuous. And so in order to preserve our country that's founded on those sorts of beliefs and natural rights that come from God, the people need to be educated about that. And so Hillsdale puts out all of the resources it can and you know, they're continually adding to it for homeschool families, for families in private schools, for families wanting to start public charter schools. They also offer summer teacher trainings to schools free of charge and for people who want to go all the way and not just use their free resources kind of in the way that they want to do it. Hillsdale has an entire kind of model for how to start a classical charter school and they'll walk people through that free if they commit to the structures that Hillsdale has found to work and that they think are a good kind of path to follow that others have used to opening these kinds of schools. Joy Pullman is our guest. We're talking about the growing popularity of classical education. When we come back, why is it a good fit with Christianity? Jesus describes baptism as new birth. Dr. Richard Davenport, author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. As big a deal as your own birth was, this should be that much and more. Learn more about this new Bible study, The Baptismal River, at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com. Educating a new generation of Lutherans. You're listening to Issues Etc. Issues Etc. guest Dr. Ben Mays of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Here's what Martin Luther says about the pastoral office My pastor is practicing the virtue that increases God's kingdom, fills heaven with saints, plunders hell, robs the devil, wards off death, represses sin preserves peace and unity, and plants all kinds of virtue in the people. In a word, he is making a new world. He builds not a poor temporary house, but an eternal and beautiful paradise in which God himself is glad to dwell. We are calling good men to step up. Come to Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana.
Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about the growing popularity of classical education with Joy Pullman. Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas provides a classical Lutheran education for pre-K through 12th grade. They also offer interactive online classes for high school students worldwide. Learn more at flsplano.org, Faith Lutheran School, Plano, Texas, flsplano.org. Joy, why is classical education a good fit with Christianity? Well, because the classical education, again, the liberal arts or, or even the Western tradition itself, all of these terms that we use, they come from, it, it said, the unity between Athens and Jerusalem. So what that means is the thought of the ancient Greek philosophers connected with the religious and moral tradition of the Jews that became, of course, the religious and moral tradition of Christianity, which of course now is open to all people through Jesus Christ. And so there's so many connected ideas here, of course, that's kind of the point. But Christianity itself, you know, one of the things that people say about it is that all truth is God's truth. Or St. Augustine, of course, used the kind of analogy of Egyptian gold when the Israelites left behind their slavery in Egypt. God told them to basically loot the Egyptians. In other words, they said borrowed from their Egyptian neighbors the gold, and they took it with them into their freedom. And so St. Augustine used that analogy to say to the early Christian church, of course, the pagans, the early pagans, did not know Christ, who is the center of all things. And that is obviously a grievous problem with their ideas. However, that doesn't mean that the true things that they talked about, that they argued for, their philosophy that they uncovered, that they were able to speak about the truth even without knowing Christ, we can take the truth because it all belongs to God, even if it comes from a pagan source. And so that was kind of one of the earliest times where a great Christian forefather told the church, look, this is a kind of learning and these are kinds of knowledge that belong to God. And you know they can be a part of the church sanctified, of course, by the revelation that we believe in scripture. And so ever since then, the, everywhere Christianity has gone, it has started churches and schools because Christians you know, are, as the Bible says, persecuted by the world. The world hates us. And so the ways of living that pagans have are not always ones that Christians can follow. You know, if they are creating conflicts with the way that we believe, and we know that they're going to because the Bible tells us this, the world hates us and they're going to persecute us and, and harm us. So in order for our children to be brought up into the faith, Christians have always historically provided that education to children, uh, you know, it, that is within the own Christian tradition because they know that young children are vulnerable. Not only that, but they also deserve to be taught in the path that they should go. They should be exhorted, encouraged, and led to Christianity as the source of all truth, goodness, and beauty. So Christian parents and the church itself has taught children that and used the ancients, the classics, the best ideas to pass on that patrimony, both that at its core is, of course, Jesus Christ, who brings all of these things together because he himself is truth, beauty, and goodness. So to the extent that anyone is seeking those things, whether they know it or not, they are seeking Christ. How was education in particular here in America hijacked by a progressivism? Well, that's another long story. <laughs> I think it first started, as I mentioned earlier, really in the academies. And in the post-Civil War in the United States through the early 1900s, the progressive movement, which really has turned in essentially into Marxism today, 
But the seeds of today's Marxism were really sown in the academy. And I think as a Christian, to me, it seems like it was very clear that, that the seeds of progressivism were shown in the academy's rejection of scripture and rejection of truth. And so that began happening. And of course, it brought in, you know, around the time of Charles Darwin, there's many interlocking factors and knock-on effects. Darwin didn't happen in a vacuum. His ideas about how to replace God in the creation of the world came at a time where people wanted to hear that. They were devastated by the civil wars, by the world wars. They had lost their faith and turned away from it as a source of comfort, especially in the academy. And what happens in colleges eventually is going to be trickling down into the rest of culture because frankly that is where a society's elites are trained or its leaders are trained and leaders of course they're the leaders they're the people that the other people follow so the academia slowly they train the teachers and then the teachers go into the k-12 schools and teach the children and the children then grow up having been affected by that and and some of them of course become uh, professors and teachers, and then they take another step forward with um, their rejection of Christ and, and where that kind of fundamental error leads them. So we have kind of throughout the 1900s in America, this cascade of cycles of people continuing to take further steps as a society away from basing our agreement, our common ground with each other on, first of all, the truth of God's word, but second of all, the truth and the objective truth that he's put into creation that we can observe with a rightly ordered reason. So that cycle obviously has been happening over and over for a number of years. So it's gotten to the point where even an average person can look at the gender unicorn and teachers coming out as transgender to their kindergarten students and know that is insane. It wasn't so obvious that rejecting scripture would lead to this a hundred years ago. I mean, it should have been intellectually people who were, who were well-trained should have been able to see this outcome. And some of them did, but they were not the loudest voices. But that really is where it's come from. The progressive specifically targeted the education institution because they know that what you teach children is going to be what the next generation of voters, parents, leaders will believe. And so every year that cycle has gotten a little bit crazier and arrived us at the point at where we are now where it's very visibly out of control. Finally, with about a minute here, why is the left so threatened by classical education? And how is classical education under attack from the left. We've been seeing in the in the last year, for example, ma multiple major media attacks on classical education, just in, in all of its forms. On the classical learning test, that's brand new. That's a college entrance exam. On Hillsdale's attempts to establish schools, there's been pieces in the Washington Post, New York Times, you know, about how homeschoolers are evil and actually all secret child abusers. I think that really just illustrates that there is no common ground possible between the people who believe in objective truth and cultural. Marxists. There's a lot of people who are Christians. There's a lot of people who are classical educators who have told me privately, you know, and, and more publicly, look, I don't want to fight the culture war. But the problem with that is that your existence is a stand against the cultural Marxism if you believe in truth. Because cultural Marxism, first of all, it hates Jesus Christ, but it also hates everything good that flows from him, principally, you know, that truth, goodness, and beauty that we're talking about. Their ideology says that truth and goodness and beauty are all lies. They're just tools of power that serve an oppressor class. So you cannot reconcile that with people who believe that not only is there truth, beauty, and goodness, and it is epitomized in the person of Jesus Christ, but that all of his followers, you know, should be seeking after it and him as attributes of him.
there's kind of an overlay here between Christianity and the classical education movement and that both of them are fundamentally opposed to the satanic idea that there is no goodness and that anybody's belief in goodness must be destroyed. And so people who don't want to fight the culture war, I mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> but the culture war is coming for you and your kids if you want to remain a Christian. So the only thing remaining to do is to put on that armor of God and to, you know, once you've done all to just stand. Joy Pullman is executive editor of The Federalist. She's author of the book, The Education Invasion, and a recent column titled Schools That Teach the Classics Instead of Marxism See Exponential Growth. You can read it and purchase The Education Invasion on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Joy, thanks. Thank you. In hour two of Issues Etc., Pastor Peter Bender joins us to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, 12th Sunday after Trinity, the Gospel reading in Mark 7, where Jesus heals a deaf mute. The theme that emerges from that Gospel reading and all the other propers for that coming Sunday is the miracle of faith, and that faith and that miracle is a gift. We'll be right back. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.